Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Get ready for some Christmas awesome. Oh, wow. Thematic. I like it. December wrap-up with our friend Jonathan Stormont calling in from Arkansas, the land where the love is abundant and the teeth are sparse. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, buddy. You used that joke on me yesterday, man. I practiced it. I warmed it up. (laughs) Okay, okay. Your timing was impeccable. Thank you. Manners were awful. Manners? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about, manners? What do you know about manners? Well, I know more than you do. No, you don't. Hey, I just signed my mom up for your podcast. Oh, no. Because she's been reading Pete Inns, and she really likes him. Really? Yeah. And so I was like, hey, you might like these these podcasts, because I really like Pete on your show. Anyway, as I was subscribing her and, and downloading the Pete Inns, when I looked at some reviews oh. on your on your iTunes. Uh-oh. And my favorite one was, he's been called the Oprah of Churches of Christ. <laughs> I thought, there is a win for me. Hmm. Yeah, didn't you call me that? I, I have branded you the Oprah of Churches of Christ. If you're listening to this and you want to leave a, a review, write, Luke has been called the Oprah of Churches of Christ. Thank you. That's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Speaking of nice things, so on the Sunday after Christmas, the dreaded Associate Pastor Sunday where no one preaches at their own church. I was in Abilene, so I filled in for you, and I yeah. fell on the grenade of the Sunday after Christmas, not to mention it was like 30 degrees and like snow raining outside. So See, I took that as, yeah, okay, thank you. And I took that as the Lord's anger <laughs> that what? he was, because it wasn't when I was in Dallas, and it was just, you know, amazing weather. You know, that's only two and a half hours away, and it wasn't snowing. Um, it was ice and snow and all these things. The Thunderstorm. To prevent you from, from, to prevent people from hearing heresy. Yeah, but, but the church is still standing. Mm-hmm. For now. For now. It was, at first I thought it was weird because, you know, I hadn't preached there since I was in grad school. But then I realized that you and I have been co-preaching our Advent stuff. We've been writing our sermons together. So really, it's like the fourth week in a row that they heard me preach. <laughs> yeah yes um by the way i what your, your sermon notes so people this is the way it works when you do a series with another preacher you send each other like your sermon notes um independently and then you might use some of the stuff they do and vice versa luke's sermon mine are like sentence outline <laughs> orderly it looks like a real human professional <laughs> Luke's sermon notes, I kid you not, look like an angry email that your grandma forwarded you about the president. It's, like things are bolded that don't make sense. They're caps locked. It's, there's no. To no, be fair, I do start all my sermons with Ford, uh, Ford, 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 Obama's a Muslim. <laughs> so that might be why you think it's an angry email from your grandma. But no. Hey, I get it. You preach in Texas. I understand. Like, the, <laughs> I understand the instinct there. I, what I don't understand is like the format. Like, how can you preach and look down at that just hornet's nest of sermon notes and think, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." What's For, happening next? Okay, two things. First of all, I'm a professional, so I mm-hmm. memorize my sermon, so I don't take notes with me on stage because I care about my job. Second of all, <laughs> yours is like one period, 
Jesus rode a donkey like I rode to school. Two, <laughs> we need to be humble like Jesus, like I was at school. Three, G.K. Chesterton once said, four, like there are... All those points are amazing points. <laughs> I don't know why you're belittling any of them. When I was at Highland, I didn't realize this, but there's a group of people that have a drinking game. They play this. Every time you reference homeschool or G.K. Chesterton, they take a shot of grape juice, of communion, of course. Oh, of course. They're very holy. They're very, yeah. very holy people. Very, uh, yeah. Well. So here's, here's the question I have for you. Does anybody else need to see what you're going to be talking about that Sunday? Yeah. Like so you have video people or, you know, pro presenter people or – does anybody well, else need to know what you're going to be saying besides <laughs> yourself? The difference of working with Jonathan and with me is Jonathan refers to them as pro presenter people and slides people. I refer to them as Elise and Adam and Brent. Like they have names to me. I don't but, know their names. That's why I you, said it like You that. don't know the names of the people you work with? See, no, that's, again, I don't know that's... the names of the people you work oh, with. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the thing is all my slides that need to go into a pro presenter slide are in the color blue. And so they pay attention to what's in blue, go ahead and make the blue stuff on the screen. And they make that happen. It's color coded. It's for them. So that makes sense. Yes, it does. But it still is an awful format. No, it's, it's like it's all I do is I highlight the words that need extra emphasis on them in my manuscript. That's all it is. I would love for the people listening to this who haven't checked out by now because it's such insider talk <laughs> to see the difference between our two and 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 have like a pageant a, a beauty pageant sermon <laughs> yeah, <it's> just... <laughs> okay i think we can make that happen all right pageant. let me write that down beauty pageant okay that's and one beauty gonna... pageant you would lose my friend <laughs> <laughs> which by the way that was the worst introduction ever it was a pretty good introduction yeah, it was terrible. You made fun of me and my hair, and so it's like, yeah, I'm going to get up and preach after that. That's really easy to do, so thank you, Jonathan. You're welcome. You're welcome. Let's talk about them. What are you going to go and make fun of me again? No, no. that's. I've, I've done my piece for this month. I don't have much I don't have much material that's fresh because I got to make an intro video for you at Highland. Yeah. You did that, a good job there, by the way, man. People, people liked it, and I told you. I told you, and it's high praise for me to say it was Chesterton-esque. That, no, don't. Mm. No, I think so. Anytime you say Chesterton, I just kind of just cringe. I'm like, more of him? Because you have never read him. <laughs> it's because you don't, you don't I don't know. need to read him. I hear you talk about him all the time. Because I'm trying to get you to read him. And anybody listening, please read G.K. Chesterton. No, just. It'll change <laughs> your life. No, just go write me a review on iTunes. That's what you need to do. Don't worry about Chesterton. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about people you need to read. So December, we had old Rob Bell back on with yeah. Pete Holmes. Uh, we had Scott Mc... The Re what is it? The Reverend Scott McKnight? There's like a, a long title. There's a funny right word. Reverend. Right. Um, is there a wrong reverend or a left reverend? Or what I is think I might be looking at him right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had old Dr. Jeff Childers, who, by the way, was... I, I got to experience what it's like for, for you to preach to like a bunch of professors. Yeah. As I was preaching Highland, I see Childers like in the fourth row. And I think to myself, I hope I'm not referencing any church history because there's yeah, no right, way right. I'm going to say it correctly. And he's then we, so gracious though. Yeah, he's great. And then there's uh, Dr. Preston Sprinkle. So uh, let's start off talking great about. Great month, man. Yeah. Good, good people. Good month. Yeah. Good one. Rob Bell. 
All right. First off, let's let the listeners know every time you have any communication from Rob Bell, you send a text message picture to me no. of said communication. And then you act like I was trying to get a hold of you <laughs> so that it's like explaining why. And I, and I was <laughs> sorry, I was busy. I, I was talking to my friend, Rob. What did you need something? <laughs> I was just trying I'm in a meeting, man. I was just trying to like be present for you as my friend, but I was busy, and so I wanted to just check back in and make sure you didn't feel snubbed or anything. That's all that is. No, yeah, that's totally believable. Mm -hmm. So Rob wrote a new book. Mm -hmm. He did. He did. And you read it? I did. Is it good? Okay, so he writes a fiction book. Have you ever tried to write any fiction? Oh, well, obviously, a lot of your sermons might fit in that category, <laughs> but... Like, intended to be fiction. Have you ever tried to do anything like that? Uh, no. Um, I, what I was wondering when I was hearing that, I wanted to ask you this question. Is it a bit like watching Michael Jordan play baseball? Oh, wow. Okay, so this is not the first preacher trying to write fiction that I've read. Okay? So there's others. Yeah. And um, it is not the same sort of writing. It's different. Yeah. Question is fair. Like, is it... Um, is it like Jordan? Because obviously Jordan was terrible as a baseball player, but he's a super popular guy, so he made it to Double A or whatever for the White Sox. And um, I would think Rob is not like that. I think it's actually really good. I, okay. I, I'm not the biggest reader of fiction. I've had phases when I've read a lot, and uh, this last yeah. year or two, I haven't read a whole whole bunch. But it's actually a good story. I really enjoyed it, and um, it's the characters aren't flat. He's not trying to like just make this one long sermon parable kind of thing. And it's just a good story. So yeah, I. I thought it was good. Yeah. I, you know, here's the thing I appreciated about the, the way he talked about his characters and everything. Did you ever see that TED Talk by Elizabeth Gilbert, the Eat, Pray, Love woman? Yeah. You know Rob and her are friends. Oh. Huh. Do you know, you know the TED Talk I'm referring to? Um, I'm not sure. Dude, it's brilliant. He, he, or she talks about how um, in the ancient world they used to – call people people had a genius people weren't geniuses huh. it was like a muse or a spirit that would inspire them and it came from outside them and so when you created it didn't put the crushing weight of people rejection or appreciation on on a single individual it was granted that man this was this came from outside of you and we've we moved that to being like oh they're a genius and she says we shouldn't because that's not the way the creative process works. And she talks about this uh, poet who would be outside in the field working on a farm. And a poem was coming to her and she would rush to the house to try to get it on paper before it went on to someone else. Um, and yeah. I, I've always appreciated that because I, I think the Christian story talks about creativity in similar ways. You know, you're, it's inspired. And... Rob talking about like, oh, she she drove a, a Ford with a gold-plated, yeah, you know, license and plate. he's finding that out at the same time, you know, he's writing it. I, that that strikes me as the way the creative process works for me. Does that is that how it works for you? Yeah, yeah. I've actually heard uh, Elizabeth Gilbert talking about that. And the, like, rushing home from the field to write a poem down, I completely get that when I have a sermon idea or I have something that I want to write. It's... I email myself immediately. I know you use Evernote probably for the same thing, but yeah, like you understand, like the muse 
just happens and I don't pretend to understand how it works, but I know that there's like some dance of, and this is me channeling Stephen Pressfield, but like you sit down, you do the work, you write and somehow like the muse shows up and I think God's involved in that somehow, but yeah, it's, it's beyond yourself. Yeah. And I think the, the Gilbert statement about like, we've personalized whatever the muse gives us and to make it like about ourself. And I, I don't know about you, but like when, so I do this thing, this thing that I think I talked to Rob about on the podcast where he suggested doing where I have uh, like five people get together with me on Thursdays and I kind of preach through a rough draft of my sermon. And I've done that basically since I've moved to Austin. Yeah. And I've had people say, man, why, I can't, that would be terrible to do. I, I couldn't imagine like having just people, you know, give you feedback and critique on it. And I really don't ever take like personal attacks on when people say, Hey, this didn't make sense. Maybe you should clean this up or maybe this should get less time or more time because or maybe I'm, you should write it in legible fashion. <laughs> Things like false. that. No one's ever said that. Um, because it's not, it's not really about me like this. I, I think something else is going on that it's not just my ideas. It's somehow yeah. I'm just a, a, a steward of whatever's showing up. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, and it, I, I, the reason I like that idea so much is it makes it a part of the church actually doing it instead yeah. of just paid professionals, you know? Yeah, I always say that like the room on Sunday is, it's kind of a big room, but if you get it, from one to a thousand to like five people instead of just one, it makes the room just a little bit smaller. Yeah, that's right. There's like five of you that have worked on this and yeah, no, I yeah, think yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. One of the things I liked about the, the book was that Rob was, was it Dickinson who talks about like tell all truth, but tell it on a slant. Is that Dickinson or? Uh, it's Eugene Peterson. Oh, whatever. just kidding. No, he, he quotes her. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, Rob is coming like a cl few clicks over from the life of a preacher by you letting his character be. Uh, you are so channeling Rob Bell right now. He's a few clicks over. That's such Rob language. You know, you know when you're friends, sometimes you just start talking like each other, and yeah. like he started yeah. doing a podcast. You know, I say fluke, yeah, whatever. It's all right. No, yeah, you guys are. Matter of fact, I loved the um, when you even encouraged him to say, you know, like, I'm one of the people who's inspired you. I didn't say. And he said on the podcast. I was just referencing common no, no. information. On this podcast, you said if it was – because he was talking about, like, giving a shout-out to people who he appreciated. And, I said, and you said, if that's me, if you want to say that to me, then that's fine. And he said, no, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> hadn't crossed my mind. That was one of my favorite moments. <laughs> when he was like, "Look, this is the, this relationship." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. A little humble pie for Luke. <laughs> I just think he didn't want to say it because he's already said, yeah. "Hey." No, he definitely didn't want to say it. Well, That's you know, true. I think part of it is like he said before, like my podcast inspired his, so. I feel like at some point he might just feel like he's ripping my stuff off. If he says it too much, and so and I you, completely. And you got that printed on business cards. Yeah, he just hands it out. Well, yeah, I mean it's on T-shirts too. If you want that, and we can we have some bumper stickers that are going to be. Uh, I think they're going to be finished the first of the year. So yeah, that's all out there. But on a tattoo in the small of his back. Mm -hmm. It's very. You're very proud of that. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about Rob's friend, Pete, Pete Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. Are you? Have you heard any of Pete stuff before this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen some stuff that he and Rob put on 
YouTube. I've listened to his podcast a couple times. Um, and I heard that podcast. When did you first do it? Like three months ago, four you, months ago? I recorded that late Saturday night. Actually, it was early Sunday morning of my last Sunday at my church that I was a part of in Denton. Have you got any feedback from having it up? Like, people say, hey, that was a lot of fun. I, I had, you know, people say, hey, thank you so much for posting that. He really communicates kind of the journey that I've been on. Um, you know, there's been some people who really relate to the journey he's been on that have appreciated that being out there. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can understand that. One of the um, things I had when I first heard that months ago. Didn't I send you like a, the unedited yeah. version of it? You sent me a less edited version because oh. you were in the process of editing, basically figuring out if there was any way you could ever put oh, it yeah, up. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Still work at the church. Um, the the uh, the reason I think that that was an important podcast to post for some people that kind of mirrors their own journey and they understand that. And there are a lot of people who probably listen to your podcast who didn't quite get why you would post something like that instead of like you know N.T. Wright or Scott McKnight or Pete. In. Um, and here here would be what I would say to them. I did young adult ministry in a large city in a large church for a long time. I've heard that conversation a hundred different times. Really? Yeah. Almost exactly like that. Maybe not as gracious, because he, he was gracious to the Christian faith. I think he's come back to a place where he could see some of the, he could appreciate it, you know, in ways that he, a lot of the people that I talked to were, would say the same kind of things, and they would be angrier about, you know, the whole thing and yeah. I thought you asked questions that um, you know were were good questions but the, the stuff that he was talking about I think is really kind of the quintessential spirit of the age um, that is two things one it's very unaware how Christian their critique of Christianity is what do you mean by that um, well, so Pete Holmes is pushing for, you know, he's in a secular, pluralistic society, and he's pushing for, you know, things like inclusion are right underneath the surface of, of you know, I don't want everybody to be Christian. Um, you know, he's, he's wanting people to feel accepted and welcomed. And that is a very Christian vision for um society you know that's do you think do you think that would trace back to christianity the inclusion and welcoming of others oh yes i mean like think about um think about other parts of the world that are founded on other kinds of world religions and you kind of see the the uh, secularism as we know it in the united states and england and europe are very much extensions of Christianity that have cut cut itself off from the kind of life and ethic of Christianity, but they don't know it. Like they, yeah. So there's a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor uh, who wrote The Secular Age or A Secular Age. Have you ever heard of him for mm -hmm. that book? Man, it's, it's amazing. And basically, here's, here's the thing that those conversations make me think of. It's this watershed philosophical work where he basically says everything I've just been saying. But here's what people tend to think. 
they tend to view their faith journey as a subtraction story, which is, you know, I used to believe this the Christian faith, and then I slowly started, you know, taking, realize, looking at that, thinking that's just not right, and throwing it aside. And they'll use words like enlightened, um, which he yeah. used a few times. Um, but he says, no, it's not a subtraction story. It's an addition story. They critique Christianity as a human construct, and they are subtracting it. But Charles Taylor says everything that they are adding is also a human construct that requires huge amounts of leaps of faith, hmm. just as much as any of the other world religions. So, for example, um, there's the story of the six blind men filling around on an elephant. Have mm-hmm. you ever heard that parable? Like the famous one about everyone's touching a different part, so it feels different. Yeah. So here's the thing. That story is a bit of a ninja move of, of pluralism and secularism because it's basically telling this really profound story that you're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, here's the question. Who's seeing all of that? Yeah. Like there's a person who's not blind who's seeing it's six blind men and an elephant. And that's yeah. that's the great kind of – that's a, a, a metaphor – for the subtraction story or the yeah. the way that we start thinking about stuff. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of one of the critiques of the, you know, everyone's on the same mountain, they're just going up different sides, which is the same basic metaphor, just told a little differently. That yeah. all religions are really, you know, they're feeling the same elephant or they're going up a mountain, but they're just going a different journey. Is What that does is it kind of reduces the end of each religion to the same thing when not all religions are really trying to accomplish the same thing. There are right. different goals. Every religion is pointing for something else. And to say that, while it might seem a very generous and a welcoming idea, like, hey, we're all on the same mountain, it it kind of reduces everyone and it offends everyone because it kind of takes away the, the goal of what each religion is. It, it offends people unless they don't just take anything too seriously. But even mm. that, if you if you go after that idea like of, you know, very open-handed pluralism where it's all the same, they would be offended. That's the thing they take too seriously. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Like, I think of Thomas Merton in this regard. You know, very distinctive Catholic Christian, you know, monk, um, who also is mining the depths of Buddhism, but not in a way of saying we're all the same. Um, I mean, there was distinctive differences for him. But in a way of saying, like, I can learn from you. The, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's a very different way of saying a very inclusive, radical hospitality and humility. You know, those are, those are all really good instincts that I think the Christian faith develops in people. Yeah, yeah. and I think th- there's a question that was asked. Uh, I think Pete asked the question, do you want everyone to be a Jesus person? Yeah. And my response is, yeah, I do want everyone to be a Jesus person. But I think there's a difference in saying... You know, we hate people who aren't Jesus people or we can't learn from people. And that's like, no one wants that. Like, that's an antiquated way of doing Christianity that hopefully we, we are moving past. Not everyone's there, but we should be getting there soon where you can like make the Merton-esque move and say, I want to learn from you. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm not a Jesus person because I am willing to see that there is wisdom in what you're, you're talking about too. Yeah. No. And I, I, you know, I say on here a lot that I have, I, I try to be Anabaptist. I really like the Anabaptist. Mm-hmm. And Anabaptist would say, no, not everybody needs to be a Jesus person. Do you, um, think, that, do you think everyone needs to be a Jesus person? Um, I, I think 
God has wired up the universe and the kingdom of God functions in a way where um, only the people who want to be saved, like that's the Anabaptist tradition, like, no, not everybody should be saved, only the people who want to be saved. Hmm. And I know that word has lots of baggage for lots of people. Basically what I mean is to, to enter into the kingdom of God um, because it is a radical way of life that is different and I think leads to the greatest joy, the best possible way to live. But, um, you know, if, if everybody, um, if everybody, if there was a button that you could push and everybody would become a part of the kingdom of God, God hasn't pushed that button. So God doesn't, I mean, obviously it's a biblical text says, you know, God wants and wills for everyone to be saved. But God allows people to make the choice. Do they want to be in or out? Which is kind of what you're saying, right? I think the tree in the very beginning of the story is God's way of saying, only those who want. Everybody gets what they want. This is the best thing. Um, hmm. That's good. That's good. Uh, But you just force, you would just force baptize people, right? That was what you were saying to Pete Holmes? Yeah, Yeah. I would force them. As long as they were submerged. (laughs) <laughs> Which, by the way, I think he got that. He had the right language for baptism. Fully submerged. I have seen a forced baptism. Before. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Uh, so I, I sent Pete an email saying, hey, I finally posted this. And uh, to be fair to Pete, like I emailed him right afterwards and said, hey, I might not be able to post this for a little while. And he's, hey, man, no, no worries at all. The, the, the honor for him was just having the conversation or something. Something very gracious, as you would expect from him. And then I... Um, I sent him the email, I guess, two weeks, whenever I, I posted it. And he said, oh, great, man. That conversation really stuck with me. Now, Really? Yeah, I was thinking what he meant by that is he, he's working on that, that show for HBO right now. And so what I think he meant by stuck, <laughs> stuck with me is he probably is thinking about me for a role in that show. And so I sent him my headshot, <clears throat> and then I sent him a, a few clips from diff, different sermons to kind of show him my full, uh, my full range. And uh, I haven't heard back from him yet, but I think that's probably because of the holidays. You know? Yeah, and to be clear, you send everyone a headshot. <laughs> like it's not just for that reason. <laughs> hey, I'm a very attractive man. I just wanted you to know who you're talking to. Um, you're kind of like the Ron Burgundy of no podcasters. No, no, I, I don't know. I feel like no. You just. I don't know how to say this, Pete. I'm kind of a big deal. No, I never would say that. I'm. I'm <laughs> Your local humble podcaster <laughs> pastor who's just trying to serve the world with the way that he knows how. There's there's something we can do there with podcast podpaster podpaster. That's me. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's transition. Anything else you want to say about Pete Holmes? Uh, listen, I loved the conversation. I honestly did. I've listened to it a couple of different times, and I think people who are interested in getting into the kind of zeitgeist of what people are thinking. In a really well articulated way. Oh, yeah. here's what I would say about Pete Holmes. You know, Andy Stanley says there's two kinds of doubts. Is this true? And is this worth it? And I listened mm. through that grid and I heard both of those doubts in that conversation, but more is it worth it? Mm. Because his divorce was the precipitating issue, you know, and he was very upfront about that. And mm-hmm. You know, kind of the disappointment with God and um, the, the yeah. I think I think that's a very common story arc where someone has a tragedy. It's 
it's Darwin losing his daughter. It's, you know, Pete Holmes yeah. going through a divorce. It's, you know, you lose the whatever. And then your you fate. going bald would be oh like that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> that would be just the. Uh... Oh, man. That just set me back for a second. Okay. <laughs> like I was trying to say. Um, nope. Uh but then religion gets thrown into that. Like you, you have personal tragedy. You have to give up a big part of your life. And then religion is kind of like the chaser that goes down with it. Like you, yeah. you, you really were not having a theological crisis, but you had a life crisis. And because of the crisis, you didn't have a theological construct that was sustainable during that. And so it goes yeah. down too. Yeah. And, and to be fair, some of those need to go down. Most of the, most of the, like, I live this way, God, why didn't you, yeah. Keep your end of the bargain. That's not who God is. I no. mean, yeah. you're following Jesus, and he he had that moment. Yeah. yeah. What goes down the drain is the idea that God gives you the American dream. And when your life is not happy, healthy, and wealthy, then God goes down with it when really you just had a bad understanding of who God is. And, that and he's, might... at, he's at the most work in those moments. Yeah, yeah. That's true. And that, my friends, is Jonathan's chance to use the word zeitgeist on the podcast. <laughs> okay. I think Scott McKnight was next. Old Scotty McKnight. Um, yeah, he took a shot at you, man. I thought you no, guys were tight. You, you kept working it in there, trying to... No. Yeah. And, no. And, and technically what he said was, Stormont's body's not that bad, <laughs> is, it? is it? Is that your Scott McKnight? Yeah, it is. I spit out my drink when I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the gospel. Yeah, yeah. none taken, none taken, Scott. Uh, uh, okay, well, I, first of all, I obviously was defending you when he was no. making that attack. <laughs> I, I was. I had your back, and so he's got the book about heaven. Um, have you have you read that book? Yeah, I read it a couple of times. Um, he sent that to me. Um, I guess a year and a half ago. Oh. And I read it through for just, he was asking what, what I thought. And my take was a little bit similar to yours. And my response, my, my first instinct was to say, I think if you're wanting to get a younger generation, then you need to talk more about resurrection than heaven. Because mm-hmm. um, it seems over 40 talk about heaven, under 40 talk about resurrection. Um. And he said, "Why do you, okay, let's talk about that. Why do you think, because I talked to my dad about this not too long ago, and he had a really good insight as to why the younger generation cares less about what heaven's going to be like. And his thing is just a basic stage of life thing. That yep. Heaven is not something you need to think about because you don't think of yourself as mortal. I got yeah. an email last night from a 72-year-old person who listens to the podcast, and which is crazy in itself, uh, but Someone 72 is listening to the podcast, but he said, you know, heaven's a big deal to me because of my age. And mm-hmm. when you are 32, heaven is not that big of a deal to you. And so you don't have to deal with your mortality. So of course you're not going to talk about it. Yeah. I I had a lot of people die that I care a lot about in my life. Um, and so I've, I've thought a lot about heaven. I mean, I wrote a book on heaven with Josh and, um, but I, when did I, that come I up? In you wrote May. a book? Yeah, in May huh. of this year. Bring Oh, you are such a jerk. You are such a jerk. <laughs> it's a great book. <laughs> <laughs> this interview's over. I guess it's but, not an interview, is it? So you've, so you've thought about it a lot because of your life. 
Yeah, and and because of just doing pastor work, because I think you've had the same experience. I mean, just last week I was on in a hospital room with a man I like, a, a family I love, and I got down on my knees to tell him, Brother Audie, when you go meet Jesus, he's going to be very happy to see you. And, um, you know, we're talking about what what would you like me to say at your funeral? Um, when When you die, I think the gate of heaven opens up and you see people that you love and God meets you. You know, just that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I had that conversation last week with a gentleman whose wife had passed away maybe 12 to 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I mean, he's a you know 80 plus year old man. And he was like, you know, what am I going to recognize her? What's it going to be like? The Bible says there's no marriage in heaven. So am I still going to be with mm-hmm. her? Am I going to know her? And this is my rub with McKnight's book. And he, uh, he emailed me afterwards and said, Luke, you seem kind of cynical about heaven. And I'm not cynical. <laughs> about or just heaven. in general. I'm just, just cynical. General. No, I just said, well, part of it is just like, I'm asking questions because I'm a, it's part of the podcast thing. But the other part is like, I have, I have some sensor that goes off in the back of my head when there starts to be too much detail about what exactly heaven's going to be like. Because yeah. I feel like we, the religious people of the first century, did not get who Jesus was because of how we understood the Old Testament. Like the Hebrew Bible did not explain what Jesus was going to be like enough for most people to go, oh, that's Jesus. That's who we're waiting for. And so I think the next phase, I don't. I have my suspicions as to how well we're really going to be able pro- to prognosticate what it's going to be like. And so when and we st- that, ladies and gentlemen, is Luke's chance to use mm-hmm. the word prognosticate well, on that, the podcast. That's nice. Well, at least mm-hmm. – so anyway, <laughs> I, I just have concern about that. And so I, he refer- – McKnight references Randy Harrison in, in the, the book, and he says – you know, Harris says, you know, Jesus wins in the end, so you pick which side. I'm don't good, be stupid. Yeah, don't be stupid. That's part of the quote. You're not, you're yeah. not saying that to me in a rude way like you usually do. <laughs> I'm also, fine. it's a double entendre. I'm fine with the generality about it. Like, yeah. heaven's going to be there. But, like, when you told that guy, the gates of heaven are going to open up, you're going to see the people you love, there's part of it that says, how in the world do you really know that? Like, what really makes what you What I think? actually told him was a story about somebody that he knew who died, and his last words were... Mother. That's what I told him. Hmm. So, you and you're know, saying that that person saw? Yeah, he reached up and said, Mother. And that was his last words. And so I was using that to say, you know, in the words of C.S. Lewis, guesses, of course, are only guesses. But what comes next, if those guesses are wrong, will only be better. Hmm. Um, that's, you know, Scott, I think, gets into some uh, imaginative kind of, but I think it's firmly within the tradition, all the stuff that he's, he's saying. And, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily get everything out of scripture because heaven, heaven's just not talked about as much as we talk about it, Mm -hmm. which makes, by the way, does that not make the Bible slightly more appealing from that Freudian critique you know what I mean? Because it doesn't talk about heaven as much as our wish right. fulfillment would make us want it. Yeah. I mean, we've we've turned up the volume on that, and I under, understandably so. But, um, 
the Bible. Is, yeah, since we since the Bible's not pushing that, I, I think the critique would then be of how we've articulated and understood faith is because we've taken our wishes and tried to conform like our religion around that. Yeah, no, and right, understandably so. I mean, I, I would like when I'm on my deathbed for people to tell me kind of hopeful things about yeah. what comes next. Yeah, that's true. But don't worry, I won't for you. Ouch. I will. No, I mean, just because I would hate to... Yeah, to what you, you off into a great mystery with you being like, well, yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, since you drink like 48 Dr. Peppers every day, you're actually drinking one right now. That's actually. This is unsweet tea, my friend. Yeah, what's, what's usually in that cup? <laughs> Don't even answer that. But based on that, like, realistically, you're going to die before me. <laughs> so, what would you like me to say at your funeral? Um. Do why, like a best... why can't I sit at the front again? Why can't that would probably be what you'll say at my funeral. Why can't, why I, sit... can't I sit towards the front again? What do you, I don't understand that. You'll have a reserved seat like in the very back. No, I'm going to be doing the funeral. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or at least I'll sing one Like I'll lead one song. <laughs> what song would you like me to sing? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um. Can What's I? Your do, favorite? This is what I would like to do, and I'll probably need someone to like accompany me because this is kind of like a two-person song. But um, do you remember when uh, the notorious B.I.G. passed away, and then Puff Daddy yes. wrote the song? Yeah. The every step I'll I take. I'll be watching you. Yeah, I'll yeah. be watching you. I would like to do the rap, and we could get someone else to sing. Is that cool? You know what? It actually is cool because I think when I die. And, you know, whatever. Watching us while we pray for you. Every day we pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep your friend. People will be <laughs> leaning over to their... Where do they think Jonathan went? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Let's get to Christmas, since you promised this to be a Christmas podcast. so let's, That's right. Let's talk about uh, your parishioner, Dr. Jeff Childers. What a great guy. Did you did you enjoy that podcast? Oh, Absolutely loved it. He was so great. He's, he's such a good guy. Um, anybody listening, he's got a couple books out, and he's just an amazing thinker and mm-hmm. church historian and all that stuff. One of the things I thought during that podcast, and I never really thought about it before, but um, you know, I, I knew about St. Nicholas and stuff and the, the tradition there, but it, this, this kind of dawned on me. Um, Santa Claus is real. You know, that's a Dutch name for Santa Claus. Hold on. Just, just to be completely clear, some might assume because of some other things that you've done in your life that y- you might actually think someone lives in the North Pole and comes down the, the chimney. <laughs> is that what you mean by Santa is real? No, it's not. It's okay. that we don't get the way saints, the idea of saints function. I mean, it's a sacrament in the world. It makes the world better. And... Before there was Santa Claus, there was this St. Nicholas who did stuff like rescue girls from slavery. And it's in his spirit that has so captured the imagination of the world that parents, because of the generosity of this guy hundreds and hundreds of years ago, parents are actually, you know, making sacrifices for their kids. Other people are making sacrifices for kids. Mm-hmm. Um and, and part of me realized, like, the joke's on the adults here. 
because we don't realize we're doing that for the love of God. Like, that's exactly how a saint makes the world a better place. People want to be like him, do emulate the things they did. Yeah. And it, it just, it, there was a deeper level there for, for Santa Claus than, it made me less grumpy at 2 a.m. <laughs> in the morning, you know, putting together a scooter. Yeah, when I was doing the same thing after Christmas Eve service, and my back went out on me. I literally was on the ground in my garage texting my wife saying, come out here and help me. I can't move. <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen to what she says. I, I'm trying to put something together, and I literally cannot stand up. And my wife looks at me and goes, I pushed a child out without an epidural. You can put this together. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Lindsay. That's amazing. I'm so happy that she... <laughs> <laughs> there is no irony or sarcasm. It's just straightforward. But like you see that in in the light of this is a Christian saint, someone that we had say he he got what this is all about, and we're following his example. That's yeah, right. that's beautiful. I, I really didn't know anything about that to be honest. And I thought, man, that's so. I love being able to tell my kids that story. And yeah. when when my daughter asked about Santa Claus, say, well, let me tell you what it's really about. And I was really proud to say, this is the, the tradition. This is the church that we're yeah. part of. It has people who did things like this, and this is what we signed up for when we signed up to follow Jesus. That's pretty awesome. It is, right? Yeah. And to be clear, we're not talking about the Coca-Cola commercialized version of just buying more gifts and going into debt. We're talking about the spirit of generosity that captured the world's imagination for the love of God. Yeah, no, that's real good. And the idea that the Christmas lights, I, I really didn't know this, but I definitely ripped this off from a Christmas Eve service. <clears throat> the idea that, that candles and then now our Christmas lights that are even on the Christmas trees in your house come from early Christians reminding themselves that the word became, uh, that the light that had life came into the world and darkness did not overcome. And it's That's going right. back to John's you know birth story. And yeah, I love that. That's great. You know, Richard Dawkins even says the thing he loves the most that Christianity gave the world is Christmas. Really? Yeah. Um, and I think it's because it slips past our intellectual radars with symbols and, you know, things like that. that mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's just a great time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. Everyone's happy. You get to take the Sunday off afterwards, so I cover for you <laughs> and deal with the inclement weather in your town. But maybe God's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness oh goodness okay well before we talk about that too much we need to talk about nonviolence because that's what this is going to escalate to if you keep making fun of me it is so what we're doing um the end of december the last one in december was one from dr preston sprinkle taking a non-violent he didn't want to say pacifist but he's a pacifist view and then the next one is a gentleman who's former cia operative who now teaches terrorism uh, i think he's teaching against it i'm not sure though uh, and so he's taken the opposite side of the coin. So this is kind of the first half of the non-violence conversation. Were you nervous doing that interview? Like, no, because no, he's a pacifist. What is he going to do? Hit no, me? no, I'm talking about the CIA operative. Like, oh yeah, he's way bigger than me. No, it whatever, was... whatever you want me to say here, man. <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, the guy was great. He was really hospitable. I think he was. Uh, this was a new medium for him, so I think he had a little bit of concern going into it. But he was he was great. I mean, it was yeah. a good conversation. It, that part was weird because each side, I think there's things that you want to push back on. And, yeah. uh, you know, when you have different ways of reading text, it's it's kind of hard to do that in a podcast where this isn't really like a, you know, a debate forum. 
for that yeah. kind of stuff. And if someone says, Hey, I read the text this way and you go, I don't. Um, and that reading of text, uh, substantiates an entire worldview or it kind of falls apart. But You mean, are you talking about like the wars in the Old Testament? No, no, no. He took uh, the, the one that I'll air next Monday. Uh, he said, you know, um, Jesus telling disciples that he, to get one sword, that's enough. And then the Jesus overturning t- um, the tables and carrying a whip. And <laughs> yeah. he used that argument, um, which I thought, I don't really think that's, the way that I would read it. But yeah, okay. I think his, his argument that he did use, and I don't need to spoil this one, but in Acts, Paul uses soldiers and he uses them for protection. And so obviously yeah. Paul is comfortable in saying, I want someone to protect me, which brings up a bigger question of, okay, if we are Rome now and Paul was okay with using some of Rome, anyway, we'll get into that one the next time. Let's go to this one about nonviolence. Yeah, yeah. Let me, I got a message from a friend down in Sydney, Australia. And he said something about this is how the rest of the world views our nationalistic churches. And mm. he said, we needed to hear this because this is how people from around the world look at American churches and go, you guys say us when you're referring to Americans, not yep. us when you're referring to Christians. And my, Good. Yeah, my my favorite part of the podcast, which was a great podcast, was him talking about our citizenship. Like, if you're a Christian, your citizenship is not the country that you live in. And, you know, his Pledge of Allegiance stuff, I thought was really gutsy to say. I, a few years ago, um, I had a person come up to me who was very concerned about Muslim students that that she was teaching because they wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. And, you know, we both work at churches in Texas. We love America. Um, Me more than you. Yeah. The And I, I told this, dear sister, I don't say the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's not because I'm not a patriot. It's because I, I know, I see that like a book of Daniel kind of thing. Allegiance matters a lot, and um, I was just saying that because people, people on the outside know stuff that we just commonly assume. Like Muslims know saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, not all Muslims, but um, I'm uh, imagining that 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 was a religious thing for them. That this, mm-hmm. you know, my my citizenship does not belong to the country that I own land in, or own, you know, yeah. have yeah. have a house in. Yeah, and that's clearly. You know, Paul Philippians three kind of stuff that he's yeah. very clear, like your citizenship is not here. And yeah, that's a fair I mean it's a really needed critique. One of the one of the things that I think is helpful in this conversation, because it's this conversation to me is really ironic. Um you know, conservative Christians tend to be the ones that talk about and believe in spiritual warfare, which I, I also believe in. But they they're also the ones who talk about physical warfare the most and the ones who don't believe the progressive christians who tend not to believe in spiritual warfare are the ones who don't realize the rich resources that it offers for the causes they care about Hmm. like this like you know paul when paul says all this stuff on spiritual warfare and then says your battle is not against flesh and blood this is what he's talking about like and it's why preston doesn't want to call himself a pacifist it's why i wouldn't particularly like that term because it tends to think like uh, roll over and and 
you know, pretend there's not evil in the world. There is evil in the world. There's lots of evil in the world. Um, let me let me tell you a story. Okay. Like a couple stories. of months ago, Linda Eggle, who uh, runs Eternal Threads and the Red Thread Movement, does a lot of stuff in the Middle East um, with helping women and, and fighting sex sex you know what I'm saying? Sex slavery. Yes. So she does our communion thoughts a couple months ago, and she tells a story about how in one of the places she's working in, ISIS closed in on these um, Christians, some Yazidi Christians, um, some Yazidis and Christians, and they camped outside their place, and they were about to, um, they were about to attack them. And the night before, the Christians prepared a meal and took it to them, took it to the ISIS people. And they said, they thought they were an ISIS supply line at first. And when they asked, who, who are they? They said, well, we're actually the people that you're coming to slaughter tomorrow. And they, the guy leading it sat down and ate with these people, talked to them. And then he called his, the person he reported to, and he said, we've been under attack, everybody's dead, and I'm badly injured, I'm out, and hung up. And he disbanded their group. Well, I remember when you told me that story a couple months ago. Did I say it on this podcast already? No, no, we were, <clears throat> actually we were at preacher camp in uh, Albuquerque. Yeah. You told me that, it was a couple months ago. And that was... Um, Again, that's like the best of who we are as, as a tradition, as a religious group. This is that's who we are, and I like how pressed. God, no, yeah, that's that's it. I mean, and you know, it uh, Christianity always has a strange relationship with power and violence, because like Paul, Paul is going to let the Roman soldiers protect him in those moments, but he's also going to let Rome kill him. Yeah. You know, he's he's wanting to get this. He's wanting to get the gospel to Rome, and ultimately he knows he's laying down his life like Jesus. And um, we have this almost, um, you know, parasitical relationship to, to that is the worst way to put it. Because um, we, I mean, I don't know if you can love your enemies, which is the number one distinctive thing that that Jesus teaches from all other world religions. If you can love your enemies and go to war, then, you know, I, I guess, I don't, I don't know yeah. how that's possible. Yeah, there's a story, I think it was like World War II or something, uh, and details are going to be kind of foggy in this one, but there was two soldiers and, and uh, they ended up camping next to each other without realizing what they were doing. Yeah. And they, one of them like starts singing a Christian song or something like that or saying the Lord's Prayer and they they join in together and they have like this spiritual experience together and then the next day one of them kills the other one. Mm -hmm. And you go like that. Ah, mm, I don't know how that works. Um, but to be fair, there's also the question about like, okay, so if everyone just says we're not going to support the policing of the world, which I think even Brian Zahn in his book says there's a difference in getting revenge and policing. Mm -hmm. Restraining like, evil. That's what Romans 13 is kind of getting at. Man, that Romans 13, it seems... Hmm. 
it seems like that, like the way I understand it, and this, I haven't done a ton of research on it, but it seems like that's how one person is supposed to interact with the civic organization that is over them. Like how one person is to interact with a nation. But Romans 13, yeah, you're right. And, and, and that, Paul is talking to the church. He's not yeah. talking to, but they're assuming that the nations will restrain evil. I mean, that's yeah. why God ordained nations. Yeah, yeah. And so this is the question, like what happens then when Christians are leading the nation? Right. And, and that's, that's why. And I don't think Preston got that question. Maybe I didn't word it well. But it's a different subject when you have people who are leading countries and they have Christian convictions, which that was not in the worldview that Paul was speaking to. It wasn't an option. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, it, it's why there's such fierce debate on on these these things. And it's why I've gone the Anabaptist route. You know, like just why? Step out. Step yeah. out from the conversation, say you guys do whatever. I yeah. think the world needs to see the kingdom of God. Yeah. And I think even people like ISIS, and granted... You know, governments are going to do what governments have to do to restrain evil, and I'm understandable of that. Um, I I think that being able to point to stories about Yazidi Christians feeding the ISIS fighters and it changing their hearts, that's a warfare. That's not passive. Yeah. I mean, that's... that's I mean, it's a sacrificial love that yeah. won that, that won that skirmish. And, you know, the the Hitler question that you asked, one of the things that I think is important when you ask, when, when anybody asks me that question, I, I want to point out Germany was the most theologically sophisticated Christian nation in the world at that time. And um, basically, they, they just got brainwashed by nationalism. Mm. Um, and... And, uh, you know, Hitler would, vis-a-vis Nietzsche, basically was saying, you know, this is the exact opposite of what Christianity is, was Hitler's thing. But he was paying homage to the church because he knew if he went against that, then it would be, you know, so there's pictures of him taking communion or having Christmas feasts and stuff. And that's what I'm suspicious of. You know, whenever... Is that the church can be corrupted? Yeah, and that we can... Yeah, I'm reading uh, Stephen Prothero. Prothero? I need to figure out how to say that because I'm talking to him next week. Um, That's a cool his, interview. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I'd, yeah, and so his new book, there's there's a section, I think it's entitled like Why Liberals Always Win or something like that. And it's a little bit more political than I typically like to be on a, po- on a podcast because it's not really my thing. But you know, his argument is like there's countless examples of how the church has been duped into uh, – political arguments and it's not really for the reasons that for example like the moral majority his argument is that it sounds like it's about abortion like we're fighting against abortion in a culture but really they jumped in when the government said we're not going to give tax dollars to private schools that are not integrated that you have these all-white christian schools and you guys are being basically promoting segregation and until you change it we're not going to support you and then they jumped in and say oh no this is a religious thing when really the church was not being anyway yeah so yeah that's an example of the church can do some terrible things when it's um yeah under the guise of politics so yeah yeah all right um we're about to be out of time do you have anything you'd like to say to me jonathan good month man hey what'd you get for christmas (laughs) 
<laughs> I was talking to two guys you work with, and they said that you called them on on Christmas morning. And said, hey, what'd you get? What'd you get? Every year, every um, year, man. What did you get? And then I'll ask you. Backpack. You got a backpack. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It was. Um, I got a new pair of shoes. I wore me to church on Sunday. Nice. Yeah. So um, that's it. I'm trying to think what else I got. This is terrible. Um, Saint Nicholas. I was not looking on you with favor I, this year. I got a, a, a uh, like one of those. People don't care about this. I got a, a <laughs> speakers that I use in my garage when I work out, and uh, that was nice. Thanks, Lindsay. And you're right. People don't care about this. No, no, no. I got some. I got some new socks too. Good month. This was a good month. And you're a good month. All right. I love you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.